Good evening, Clarice. I thought you might like your podcast back, Doctor. Just until you get your view. How very thoughtful. Your anagrams are showing, Doctor. Downplaying co-ops. Now playing podcasts in the movie review show. Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You were telling me about this podcast back in Baltimore, sir. Please continue now. Well, I've gone to their website now, playingpodcast.com. Have you? Everything you need to know is there in those pages. Then tell me how. First, principles, Clarice. Simplicity. Stuart, Arnie, and Jacob. What is their nature? What do they do, these podcast hosts you seek? They review movies. No, that is incidental. They watch all movies in the Hannibal Lecter series from 1986's Manhunter through the prequel Hannibal Rising. They review one movie each week. That is their nature. And how do they do these reviews, Clarice? Make an effort to answer now. They just... No. They review with in-depth analysis, including detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Don't you hear the coming spoilers, Clarice? All right, yes. Now please tell me how. No. It is time to listen to the show, Clarice. Doctor, we don't have any more time for any of this now. No. I will listen now. Today we're discussing Hannibal Rising, starring Gaspardier, Gong Lee, Dominic West, and Rise Ifans. Directed by Peter Weber. I'm Artie, co-host of Now Playing. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy, happy Halloween, Hannibal Rising. Stuart in L.A. This is Jacob, and I want a treat. I didn't want this trick. <laughs> yeah, we are here at the last film of the Hannibal series, or the first film of the Punisher series. I'm not really quite sure. <laughs> Really, I thought this had more in common with Magneto's origins, but I guess we'll get into that. Definitely a comic book movie, though. I wasn't expecting it. I'm definitely going to agree with you now. You broke me down, Arnie. This is not a horror movie. This particular <laughs> chapter, you, we can make the case, or rather I can make the case for Silence, Hannibal, Red Dragon, and Manhunter are spotty, but I can even at least point to a few things in there that are horrific. But this is, yeah, straight up comic book Avenger stuff. And I guess it's nice to see Thomas Harris finally returning to his roots and basing his serial killer on a real known serial killer. It's just happens to be Batman this time. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it's funny to hear you say that, Stuart, because I went into this and I said at the last podcast that I I didn't really know if I wanted this movie. I kind of had thought I'd seen all of Hannibal Lecter I wanted to. I knew Anthony Hopkins wasn't in this and I didn't know if I wanted more, but then I got it in my head that Stuart said this is a horror series. Maybe I'm going to luck out and this is just going to be a par slasher. I know critics hated this. 
but Critic's not exactly fans of Friday the 13th Part 8 either. So maybe I can find some fun slasher gore bits in this. So I went into this hoping it was horror, and yeah, um, no. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say, prior to this retrospective, I didn't know this film was ever even released. Uh, When you asked me to do Silence and the Hannibal films, and you said Hannibal Rising was the last one, I'm like, oh, it's gonna be a data release review? (laughs) No, this came out four years ago. It totally under the radar for me. Had no idea this was released till I had to do this retrospective. Same with the rest of the country. They were all too busy seeing Norbit that weekend. You're not wrong. I mean, seriously, when I've told people that this was a series we were going to doing, they, you know, of course, everyone knows Silence and maybe a few of the cool ones knew Manhunter, but nobody knew this movie existed. I was like, you know, the one, the prequel, the one without, you know, like just dead faces. People are like, huh? And there's even a book, you know, go over to Books and Nachos. I read the book. There is a book. It was not a bestseller. This movie was not a hit, but it is Thomas Harris. Still writing in the voice of Hannibal Lecter, and this time also writing the screenplay. This marks the first time that Thomas Harris has jumped from just being the source material to actually writing the script, in script format, simultaneously. This book was written at the same time that this movie was in active pre-production. And really, all of that happened because Dino De Laurentiis owns the rights to this character and told Thomas Harris, hey, I'm going to make this movie whether you're involved or not. So do you want to make some money off of it or should I just go and find another writer? And so Thomas Harris took up the challenge. I think it's an interesting dare that he would want to follow Hannibal, a unpopular book, by taking on the task of not only writing a prequel that risked, again, saying too much about his beloved character, but also being responsible for how he looks up in the movie screen. It's quite ambitious. One question. You say Dino De Laurentiis said, we're making this with or without you. Was it Dino's call that we're doing an origin story? That I cannot find anything conclusive. I think that that was the popular thing at hand. I think there had been several popular origin movies at this point, and I think that that was his take. Yes, I do. But ultimately, it was for Harris to write the story, and this is the where the direction he took it in. And you know what the last movie we watched where they said, for the literary side, you better come up with an origin story because if you don't, the cinematic side will. Wolverine. Yeah, and you know how we felt about that one, at least Stuart and I. And then the other thing, I noticed that Harris did the screenplay on this one, so now I know who to blame for the writing. With Hannibal, I didn't know if something was lost in translation between the book and the screenplay, but thank you, Thomas Harris. I know where to put the blame for this now. You know, I noticed Thomas Harris's name in the opening credits on this. And you want to know what kept coming through my mind as I was watching this movie with full knowledge he was the screenwriter? Maximum Overdrive. And that trailer with Stephen King, egomaniac, (laughs) sitting in front of the Green Goblin mask saying, all I wanted was my story done right. (laughs) I'm going to scare the hell out of you. Go YouTube this. Yeah, I kid you not. It's the most obvious sign of author hubris that we've seen. You're, You're right. It's absolutely ridiculous sometimes when writers get it into their heads that they know more than movie makers about how to make a movie. And yeah, I'm going to ding Harris here too. They really did need a seasoned screenwriter. They needed a Ted Talley. They needed a Steve Zalian to really get this story right. I think that there was a a chance here. Surprisingly, I responded to a lot of the things that are in the book. I think it's an interesting idea where they've chosen to pick up the story and what they've chosen to follow. But I do think there's some real problems in the telling of it. And it is the script. 
But these things are hard, right? I mean, how many times have we done origin stories for horror movie characters, Arnie? And has it ever made it so that we've actually been more scared of the characters after we've seen them? I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, seeing that short little man rubbing himself on those little children in the sandbox. I mean, that didn't make Freddy more of a great horror icon. It made him look like a perv that you wouldn't want to dress up as in Halloween. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, yeah, I gave it a passable recommend for its subtext, but I don't feel like knowing the history makes that family more scary. I just think that when you tell too much, you let it out of the box. Fear is created at least in part by what we don't know. And I've always had a complaint about this. There's only, I think, two movies where they show the downfall of a character that are satisfying. That's Godfather and, and I'd say X-Men First Class with Magneto. Every other time they try to go back and tell these origin stories, show the good guy becoming the bad guy or showing the downfall of a character. You know, Star Wars, it's never satisfying. It's, it's so rarely done well. And after watching Hannibal two weeks ago, I didn't have a lot of faith going into this. I'm willing to give Harris a chance here, but he's got a lot to prove at this point. Well, I don't think all origin stories are bad. Stuart specifically asked about horror films. Halloween is Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween. That is the perfect telling of a killer's origin that did work. But keep in mind, I do think that First Class, X-Men, the Star Wars prequels, especially the later ones, there are some good ones out there. It's just a matter of... Finding them. But as far as giving a solid reason for someone to go from good to evil or to choose evil, I don't know if the prequels, yeah, there's some decent moments in them. I don't know if that's a satisfying story to watch the fall, though. True. And, and that's what I'm getting at. Why does someone embrace evil? We all want to understand that. How does someone become Hitler? How do we embrace evil when it seems somewhat against our nature? Everyone's got a mean streak to him. But how do you choose that as your lifestyle? It's got to be convincing, and I don't see it done well very often. And keep in mind, this thing is being called Hannibal Rising, as if he is ascending to something. This is not the fall of Hannibal. This is not the perversion of Hannibal. We're seeing this character loom large. Like, presumably, I think what's being said here is, we know that you love this character. We know that you love Hannibal Lecter. It's actually a good thing. It's actually great that he's turning into this cannibal. This is our new superhero. And when I mentioned Batman before, I mean it. This has Batman Begins all over it. The Nolan films clearly was a blueprint for how to go forward. Well, why don't we go forward and go with a plot summary? The movie begins in 1944 Lithuania, with the aristocratic Lecter family abandoning their centuries-old castle and taking refuge from Hitler's blitzkriegs at a remote hunting lodge. Hannibal Lecter is a precocious eight-year-old who swears to protect his little sister, Misha, even after his parents and other adults are killed in the crossfire between Nazi and Russian soldiers. The children sustain themselves on dwindling food rations until a band of six looters break into the cabin and, starving, propose eating the sickly little girl. World War II draws to a close and Hannibal is discovered wandering alone in the forest, mute and unable to recall the events that led him to this point. And eventually Hannibal makes his way over the Iron Curtain and into the custody of Lady Murazaki, his widowed Japanese aunt living in France. The woman seeks to heal the teenager's psychic wounds by teaching him ancient samurai fighting techniques and living with him in Paris while he attends medical school. Hannibal becomes enraged when a Nazi-sympathizing butcher catcalls his aunt at a public market and 
Later in the forest, slices him up like butter with his samurai sword. Parisian police inspector Papil takes Hannibal into custody and concludes he is a monster after administering a lie detector test that fails to detect any emotions in the boy. Lady Murazaki plants the butcher's severed head in a public square while Hannibal is in this police custody, therefore exonerating her nephew of the crime, though Papil remains suspicious. Hannibal uses truth serum to dream about his repressed past and recall the faces of the men who hurt Misha. He returns to the scene of the crime in Soviet Lithuania and successfully executes one of the attackers, now a checkpoint guard. He also finds the looters' dog tags and uses their names to hunt down their new identities in post-World War II Europe. In fact, most of them are living in Paris. The last half of the movie has Hannibal descending even further into his dark side, halting from bumping off his sister's murderers only occasionally to express romantic longing for his aunt. Lady Murazaki is taken hostage by gang leader Vladis Grutus, and Hannibal comes to her rescue. He is told by Grutus that he too dined on the flesh of his sister to stay alive, and Grutus accuses Lecter of needing to kill anyone that knows his terrible secret. And, of course, Lecter does nothing to disprove this theory as he carves him into the guy's flesh and bites off his cheeks and a lot of other gross stuff as he kills him. And Lady Murazaki, saddened that her nephew has lost his humanity, abandons the boy, and Hannibal journeys to America to continue his medical studies, though he has to take a detour to Canada to kill the last of Misha's murderers as credits roll. So that's Hannibal Rising. There's two different versions that were released on DVD. Which one did you guys see? There's a rated and an unrated version. The way to know is really comes down to one sequence. When Hannibal leaves his castle and goes to France is in an extended sequence in which he has to outrun attack dogs and jump over a barbed wire fence and use a scarecrow. Yeah. Then you saw the unrated version. Now, truthfully, I kind of resent the fact that there's two different versions of this movie. Unrated, usually you think that means graphic, right? It's going to be much more violent, much more gory, much more bloody. Well, it's ten minutes longer, but most of it's just extended sequences of talking and photography. And there's no gore extended by this cut whatsoever. It's a misnomer to say that this is some kind of extreme, unrated cut that wouldn't pass the MPAA. Did you see both then? Yes. And the stronger version is the shorter movie. Is it a lot stronger? Do I need to go back like The Exorcist? Well, I guess we'll get there when we get there. I guess it depends <laughs> on how strongly you uh, you are pro or, or anti this new Hannibal. To be honest, when I pushed play for this movie, I knew nothing about it. You guys talked about not being aware. Part of me knew this was made. I would have been able to name it, but I couldn't remember when this came out. I couldn't remember any ads for it. I couldn't remember the story. I knew nothing pushing play. And so when I pushed play and it turned out we were in 1944 Lithuania during World War II, believe it or not, I actually got really happy because I started thinking about Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. And I'm like, hey, maybe this is going to be good after all. Well, I think your review of Dominion is a little controversial, Arnie, but I agree with you. Knowing that it was a prequel did not make me think World War II. And I've got to say, these opening shots are lustrous and lyrical. It's kind of a shock to the system when you realize, hey, 
they actually tried to make a really good film. They have spent some money here. They got the production designer that did Schindler's List, and he got some real-looking sets and props and tanks and things. And this looks like a really vivid, evocative, period war film. I was stunned at, beyond what they needed to, how much they captured the period. I'm right there with you guys. I didn't know what to do when I started this movie. I wrote down the word fairy tale because they're spending so much time on just trees and these kids sailing down a river to a castle. Like, it's a totally different feeling than what you would expect when you put on a Hannibal movie. Thomas Harris would be so happy to hear you say fairy tale, Jacob, because that was what he wanted to write. That's what he has said in press material that he wanted this to be. So much so that when it's Misha and Hannibal in these early scenes as children and they're singing that song, that is Hansel and Gretel. And I got that vibe, yeah. And, of course, she's going to end up in the oven. But (laughs) that was really the inspiration for this. That was the bent that Thomas Harris took to try and go through this story and contextualize it as a period movie. Yeah, I mean, even down to the tonal colors. Yeah, you said Schindler's List, and that makes sense because my mind went to Schindler's List. So yeah, it's very much capturing that feel. And I, too, was shocked because, to be honest, because I hadn't heard a lot about this film, I expected low-budget exploitation, and it already started off much better, much more impressive, much grander than I had anticipated. Yes, even though De Laurentiis probably would have made a schlock version if that's what it took to get it done, I'm really impressed that that's not where he started. They start at the top. They go back to the guy that wrote all of the books, and they said, you make this. And they've gotten the money and the people involved to do this properly. The director of this movie, Peter Weber, his only real other film to his credit is a movie called Girl with Pearl Earring, which is a lyrical art film. You know, it's all about uh, painting and just capturing the look of a mirror. And I think what an unusual choice to go with him. It's not who you would think we making a prequel about how a guy comes to cannibalism but by doing that they've really made a lovely looking movie i gotta say it feels like every movie in this series we've said this is not the director you think they pick for this film well you know michael mann and ridley scott made sense but yes i feel many times they have thought outside the box and maybe they have thought within the box of what they can afford but uh, be that as it may they come to some unusual names and right from the get-go they're really setting up some heavy motifs here i feel like because it's framed like a fairy tale i can go with it but we're we're seeing a lot of things being put into the mouths of a stuffed boar head you know the woman's hiding her pearls and you know the girl is bathing in a pot that's probably a cooking pot and i feel like in a heavy way they're really telegraphing what this is about i'm waiting for the shooter up i mean we can all understand right this isn't going to last long this sort of innocence that they have out in the middle of the forest we know it's going to get bad really soon listen this movie from beginning to end has the subtlety of lenny from of mice and men It is just lumbering through from, yes, uh, seeing things put into the pig's mouth to later on when the cook is like, the cheeks are the most flavorful part. Every line hits like an anvil. Yes. And again, this is screenwriting. This is who you look to blame or credit when a story is telling you in such obvious ways. That's the writing. And I do feel like the book and the movie are extremely similar. I'll talk about it in more details over at Books and Nachos. But naturally, the story here is going to be the same as is on the page. And the only things that change really are motivated by the fact that they have to make a two-hour movie. But they shot every scene practically that was written and they assembled the cut originally that was three hours long. 
It's very faithful to what Thomas Harris wanted to get out on the page. And as such, I feel like it doesn't speak in a movie language. I feel like it speaks in the book's language. I actually have notes about that, Stuart, so we'll get into that when we get to some specific scenes. But you talked about how unsubtle this movie was. What gives away that unsubtly right away is Nazis. There's your motivating factor. There's the bad guys are going to put everything into motions, Nazis. Like, I understand. I read history. Nazis, bad people. I get that. I just feel a lot of movies use that as a shortcut to provide a motivating factor, whether it's to get revenge. And, you know, I I could give it to, I keep bringing up X-Men First Class because I feel these movies had a lot in common, but I could give it to that one that that had been in Magneto's past, that was part of its character. But in 2007, when this film came out, it just seems like lazy shorthand. If you want to say something about Nazism or dictatorships and how they have this lasting effect, that's fine. But this is a Hannibal movie. You know, Arnie and I had this conversation about Rambo. If you want to have a, a political movie about these evil dictatorships, that's fine. But when you move it into the realm of Rambo, <laughs> now it just feels like cheap exploitation to me. I agree. And I think that because the Nazis are the closest embodiment of just pure bad guys we ever have, it works if you use them in an Indiana Jones kind of way and you just want bad guys like that. But when you try to take it more seriously than Indiana Jones, but yet still you're putting it in this film, it just feels wrong. But, of course, this is a prequel, guys. They're limited by what has already come before. They have to keep it within the continuity. I think that's the intent here. I mean, on some levels, this is a reboot, but Lecter would have been the age that he would have been born around this time. He would have been eight years old in 1944. And because it's been Hopkins and Brian Cox, because they've had Englishmen playing this character, he's got to be European, right? I mean, I don't think the original book said anything about him being English, but... Now that we have Anthony Hopkins, it would be weird to find out that he came from Philly, right? I mean, it just wouldn't work. We have to have this in Europe, and we have to have it in this time frame. And as tiresome as it may be to see Nazis as the typical villain, I feel like they have to be the, the what kicks it into gear. And they're not the only ones here. I like the fact that, you know, in Hannibal, they make the unfortunate comparison between Lecter and Osama bin Laden when they turn up on the same FBI website. Well, here we get two evil dictators for the price of one. It starts with Hitler, but then, of course, Lithuania goes to the Soviets, and there's a mural of Stalin afterwards. I feel like they're not just relying on Nazis here. They are seeing this as a land where totalitarians and opportunists will take root, no matter who they are. And in fact, the people that perpetrate the crime on Lecter, the little boy Lecter, and devour his sister, they're not anything. They're wannabe Nazis. Well, maybe. You know, they're opportunists. They're like, we were Lithuanians, and then we were Germans, and now we're Russians, and basically, they're just scavengers, and they will do whatever it takes to stay alive. And I mean, whatever it takes to stay alive. Did Hannibal, the book, tell of his origins? Because I thought in some of my research I read that it did. You can listen to the books and not shows podcast. I do mention the fact that there are moments where Lecter goes back and talks about Misha. But it really isn't in too great a detail. I think it's just used to compare his affinity for his little sister that is gone with Claire Reese. I think that it's to show a kinship there. But they don't get into the fact that he ever ate his sister. Did they ever mention in any of the other movies that he came from specifically a World War II era thing? Because, yeah, you say that Anthony Hopkins has to be European. That's fine. But I honestly 
it's like Star Wars all over again in that I had in my mind a background for Lecter. And in, I think, Red Dragon, I said I pictured him like a cannibal Fraser Crane. Well, I picture him an aristocrat. You say English. Yes. London, not Lithuania, not France. I picture him as being raised in high society in London. And then I pictured kind of like an American psycho, the Euro trip edition. You know what I'm saying? Sure. The all European boy goes bad. That to me has more frighteningness and more subversiveness than this boy watched some want to be Nazis eat his sister thus he's a cannibal that's too convenient and too I would I would use the word apologist I feel like this movie is here not only to tell us the origins of Lecter but actually to make him understandable and benevolent to us I think it's a whitewash job here uh, what I've appreciated about it, Lecter, and what they've always kept at least one foot into, is the fact that he's dangerous. He's psychotic. There's something wrong with him. I mean, Graham said in both movies that <laughs> you have deficiencies, you have limitations, you are insane. And that cannot be forgotten. He is not making all of these choices from a rational, logical standpoint. There's something wrong with the boy's mind, and I think that they're changing that here. I think they want to say everything that Hannibal has ever done is totally justified when you look at where he comes from. Well, there's so many things wrong with that. I mean, just from a societal standpoint, just because somebody has a bad background doesn't mean that you should forgive their current day sins. But more than that, this is what I've said they've been doing every goddamn movie since Silence, right? He is our Freddy Krueger. He kills the bad guys. So this isn't exactly a surprise to me that they do it, but it's still, I don't like it. Stuart, you pointed this out, is that you start off with the serial killer and they're killing the innocent victims. And as the franchise grows and goes on, now you got to make that serial killer the hero. And literally, he's a superhero in this movie. Yeah. Like, this is what I don't get. He's not insane. He's Batman. He is the Punisher. He is every superhero. He's yeah. avenging bad guys. You know, it's not just that they're wannabe Nazi, Soviet dictator scum. They're also slavers and they, you know, sell women into prostitution. Like, there's nothing to like about these people. I look at Hannibal in this film. He's not crazy. Everything he does in this is rational. Yeah, the world is crazy, and he's just going to an extreme that none of us would dare to go to right wrongs. And that is, yeah, exactly. We I've been seeing that a lot in Marvel retrospective series recently, and to varying degrees of success. But you're right. It's a stunner when you realize that that's what they're trying to do here. That said, it takes a little while. I like the fact that they stop. That this is a flashback, and then before she's eaten, it disappears, and the boy really has amnesia or repression. He stops even talking, and the movie is designed as a mystery as to how can he get back and relive that moment and learn what it is. I think that that was a successful choice. I think that's what kept me going, even as I found myself irritated by how radically they've changed the character that I really liked. It also pissed me off that they cut away because, again, I kind of went in thinking maybe I'll at least get a good slasher and then they cut away and we jump ahead many years and now Hannibal's living in his own castle, which is now an orphanage and he's fighting with a bully and then he kind of goes after the bully with a hook and they cut away and I'm like, is this entire movie going to be implied? <laughs> 
what the fuck is going on? It finally hit me. The sister thing is supposed to be a mystery that will be revealed. And in the end, that worked. But as the movie was unfolding, it irritated me. Well, they want to keep coming up with uh, ugly, obscene acts. I just want to put it out there. In the book, Hannibal does go to the orphanage, but his uncle comes and gets him. And there's none of this, I have to escape from the Soviet Union stuff in here. Or There's a bully, but there's no bear trap. And I like that. Yes, that's something Hannibal would do. He'd escape and then set up booby traps so when they come to look for him, they would be harmed. I felt like, okay, there's my Hannibal moment. I don't ever feel that, I think, throughout the rest of this film. Well, once they decide to go here, they totally age their character to our star, Gaspalia. This is where the movie hangs crucially. We can all agree, right? Nobody envies following Anthony Hopkins, Oscar winner, three movies now. Your job is to convince us of his backstory and you know this guy's has only one or two movie credits it couldn't have been an india well tasked to step in this role how well did that work out for stuart townsend who exactly stuart townsend the second lestat no yes exactly it's tricky to follow anybody but it has been done there have been many successful iterations of bond and some can even be argued of the later ones are better than the original but no one says that about lazenberry <laughs> and no one's going to say this about our Hannibal here. I've got to say that other than the jackal smile that he's got, I really don't see much Hopkins here. I'm really not getting Hopkins out of him. He does the whole trick. He's always got the serene smile and the unblinking eyes, but I just don't feel the menace going on that I do with Hopkins. More importantly, he doesn't come across as intelligent. Well, come on. He got into medical school somehow. But that's the script. That's not the I, I, actor. I'm, I'm agreeing you know? with you. Yeah, it's this character, his actions, his motivations, and the actor is Hannibal in name only. It's like a pale knockoff imitation. It's like Battlestar Galactica, the 70s TV series put up next to Star Wars. And what loses it for me is that he doesn't have any of the wit that we've seen Hannibal have. He does the wordplay when he could do the back and forth and just chill you with his words, how he could just drive a nail into you with what he says. Like There's some conversations he has with an inspector later on, and I, I'm waiting for that moment because that's how Hannibal really shows his wit is the way he could use words. You know, we talked about in Silence how one theory is with Miggs is that he just talked to him and convinced him to swallow his own tongue. I don't see that here. Like, I, I was just waiting. I was on the edge. Let's get to where he talks to people and shows that cunningness and it never happens i will give it that this is a much younger version and he'd have to learn some of those skills oh no we have to see it though we have to see those skills emerge in this film well here's the thing i think we actually do when you mention the inspector i kind of like some of his riposte he, he at one point says i can say that you were fishing with me when the tables get turned and he's exonerated of a crime that was a funny line the problem for me is this guy's English. He's all mushmouth. I'm like having to rewind to understand what he's saying. Blah, 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 blah. Yes. I mean, I couldn't understand half the film. Come on. We all know Hopkins has that purr. There's that wonderful voice that he has. He's, his voice is everything. It's what gets inside your head first, the eyes and the purr. And this guy should have been dubbed. I honestly feel like a better choice would have had overdub of Hopkins than to allow him to go out with this muddled English mouth. Turn the pitch up so he sounds a little bit younger. And yeah, I didn't have any problem understanding him. I don't oh, think I, it was off. It's not about understanding so much as it is how he kills every line that he's given. Oh, 
how oh, yeah. every line just flops because yeah. of it. Even the few chances of winning ones. I agree, Jacob. There aren't many here, but there are a few. There are a few moments where I'm like, ha ha, that's the lector I like. But he kills it. It comes out of his mouth dead. I agree that that one line you mentioned about, I'll say you were fishing with me, is the one glimmer. Like, if this actor had eaten Hopkins, <laughs> this is the little <laughs> bit of Hopkins I saw. Yeah, it's the last thing Hopkins is saying as he slides down his throat. <laughs> the worst part about this for me was that this kid has no charisma. With Hopkins, you loved Lecter, but you hated him. You know, the, he is the epitome of the man you love to hate. Here, this kid's just kind of creepy, but I certainly don't love anything about him, even if I understand his motivation. He's the most haunted Abercrombie model I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, <laughs> he's all hair and cheekbones and those, those dimples. I'm like, what's with the dimples? They explain in the commentary, I think they made it up, that he was bit by a dog as a child, and that's why his mouth looks like that. But I'm like, that's not a dog bite. That's just some silly model attempt. I mean, I never thought of Lecter as being a supermodel, but here they're really trying to make him a pretty boy, and I think that that is jarring and strange, and I disagree with the choice. Well, in doing some digging on this, I think this could be worse. I hate to bring up Star Wars yet again, this podcast. I think I've hit my quota. But one of the many actors who screen test for this role was young Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen. Oh. Hey, I know that people hate him a lot, but I did see him in one really good movie, and he gave a really good performance called Shatterglass. And yep, and keep going down his oeuvre <laughs> and find another. Oh, I won't. I won't. But I do feel like that one gets forgotten. I, it's not like he's impossible to be good, but I feel like he maybe shoulders the blame for those prequels in a way that might be a little unfair. Okay, go watch Jumper and try to give him an excuse. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> but we can all agree that this is a really important casting choice, and they have not found the right person for this role. I dare say, you mentioned Bond. I think Hopkins is irreplaceable. And there goes Hopkins, there goes your franchise. They tried without Foster. You just can't have Hannibal without Hopkins. Hopkins is Hannibal. But they're going young. I mean, Hopkins couldn't have played this role, right? We can admit that the only worse choice than Luau playing this would be Hopkins. He could grow a longer ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Admittedly, you couldn't do this tale. The boat has sailed. They can't do that anymore. And De Laurentiis wants to keep going. And I'm kind of game with that. I'm okay with reboots. It's just you really have to be careful with it. I think any character can come back. I think they can do more Indiana Jones with a new actor. I think that they can do more Bond with new actors. I think these things can happen. You know, they recast Captain Kirk. I mean, these iconic characters can be reborn again, but it's tricky. And the trick didn't happen here. You're right, but unfortunately, this guy is not the Robert De Niro to Anthony Hopkins. No. And has, has anyone seen him again? I saw him in one movie prior to this. I've not seen him since. It's a deal breaker here. And they're a double whammy here because who's he playing off against? But Gong Lee, who is international movie fans will tell you is one of the most beloved and cherished and beautiful actresses the world's got. But she doesn't work in American movies because... She does not know English very well. <laughs> and th this was the, the weird point in her career where she was 
experimenting with that. She had just agreed to do Michael Mann's Miami Vice big screen reboot as the love interest. And while she was shooting in Miami, she met with Thomas Harris and talked to him about taking this role and begrudgingly took it. But she had a lot of reservations about this part. And I think a real problem here is that Silence of the Lambs is built on a dialogue between Lecter and the woman that he loves. And this movie should be built on that, too. And these people cannot talk. <laughs> they look at each other a lot. They sure do. I, I agree. I mean, Stuart in the book, is there a samurai ant, Japanese ant? <laughs> because, look. You like samurai films, Jacob. I, thought I you, like samurai films. I thought films. you might kind of like this, <laughs> as silly as it is. I just didn't get what was up with cannibal teenage ninja doctor. Yeah, I like samurai films. I like sexy Asian ladies with swords. I could go with that. But again, we talked earlier how this seems like almost like a period piece. And okay, was this a, a war bride that was brought home from Japan from World <laughs> War Two, And she somehow knows English like that just doesn't seem very period to me. Head over to Books and Nachos. I'll tell you a little <laughs> bit more about her. Let me say, though, she's there. She's teaching Lecter the way of the ninja. And it's at about 37 minutes, I wrote it down, where the scene comes where I'm like, I'm not with this movie anymore. Lecter is getting ready to go kill a butcher who asked if Gong Li's pussy is slanted sideways. <laughs> it's sort of an homage to Migs or a, or a <laughs> foreshadowing of Migs, I guess. I can smell your sideways cunt. <laughs> That actually is an old racial slur with Asian women, is that their vaginas are sideways. Never heard that. Okay. No. I I, I guess I run in seedier places than you guys do. (laughs) (laughs) But he is getting ready to go avenge his aunt girlfriend, and he's going through her samurai armor and just happens upon a mask. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> I hated that. They have Come to get on, the scene. This, is, this is the moment where he falls down the well and sees the bats and realizes he has to be the superhero, right? <laughs> but he never wears it when he kills anyone. Exactly. If that mask was like his accoutrement that he would wear and eat people through the grates, that's one thing. But it was basically a muzzle so he wouldn't bite anyone. <laughs> I agree that you can't swallow any Chianti with that thing on. It's just, it was put on against his will. It's not like he became Hannibal, the thing we see in the poster. Those were restraints. He wanted away from those restraints. He didn't want to be in a straitjacket with a face mask. So to have an iconic moment in which he's, yeah, clutching this strange Japanese kabuki character mask and putting it on like he's finally found himself is re- goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> I, at this point, am just like, okay, I have to just give up looking at this as part of this retrospective series. I cannot associate this film anymore with the Hannibal Lecter films. This is now a totally new film disassociated from any series starring a World War II era cannibal. Can I like it now? Because you <laughs> pissed on the character. That's given it a lot, Arnie. I almost agree with you, but my take's a little different. It's not that I feel like they've, well, they have pissed on the character, but it's not like they, I feel like I can't go along with this movie as a Hannibal movie anymore, but I have to recognize it is no longer the Hannibal that I have read and watched in previous installments. This is a reboot. I now understand that they are totally redoing this 
so that we can now see him as a superhero character and we will be cheering him on as he goes off into the sunset and eats more people. Like, this is Dexter now. Our culture has been heading this way for a long time. We have been romanticizing and celebrating serial killers now for a couple decades, really, since Silence of the Lambs. And now we have a film that totally says he is a superhero cannibal. I think that that's not only ridiculous, I think that that changes the way that I can appreciate this. Because everyone knows I'm the guy that likes victims. You know, that's who I want to put my siding with. I can like Lecter, but I don't want to like him in total. I didn't want him to ever get free. It's not a good thing to have this vigilante, cheek-chomping ninja running around in the world. We want him caged. And frankly, he's scarier when he's caged. And now they've thrown out the scares. They've thrown out the wit. They've thrown out the performance. And we're just stuck watching, yeah, if not Batman, another Daredevil. That's what this feels like. Can they outdo Daredevil? That's really what I'm asking myself at this point. (laughs) Not can they compete with Red Dragon or Silence of the Lambs. Let me ask you this. You say that you like to identify with the victim. In a way, this film makes Hannibal the victim. Sure, but you know what? They've always been victims, right? I mean, Buffalo Bill was a victim. The Tooth Fairy was a victim. They've never blanched from that. They've always said that these people have had hard lives that made them. Society made them what they are. But we never gave them a pass. And this movie gives him a total pass. Lots of people are abused. Lots of people have hard childhoods. What's different about these ones? What pushed him over the edge to go so far? And this doesn't give me any answers. That's really the key is there tons of people are drugged through the mud through real life. And yet they get over it somehow. They endure, they strive and overcome it. Why don't certain people? I want to see that explored, but this doesn't want to explore that. It just says society's bad. It makes the monsters. That's not insightful. Well, I guess the real fear is would mass audiences be okay with watching someone that is monstrous do horrible things that aren't a secret wish of their own? Because I think that's like even when these serial killers get that way, when Freddy is starting to kill people in extravagant theatrical ways, secretly, that's what we want to see. We want to see him pop out of a sink. We want to see him pop out of a comic book. And here, that's what we secretly are asked to say. We really want him to do that. But keep in mind, this man ate co-eds. Like, how are they going to write that? You know, how are they going to make that heroic that he took some college girl and ate her flesh? I mean, I just don't see it. it. It does feel like a betrayal of what has happened before. And I have to let that go and accept the fact that they are rebooting this entirely and they're giving me a superhero cannibal. See, I was still trying to reconcile how someone who has this traumatic event where he has fed his own sister, whether he knows or not, he's fed flesh as a child, and it angers him so that he goes after these guys that fed him this flesh. And yet he decides to live a life where he's going to eat flesh. Like, it pissed him off so much that he's going to train as a samurai to kill them all, but then he's going to just go on eating flesh. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. There's something missing. Here's the other thing, though, is that I find it too simple. If you go back to Silence of the Lambs, when Clarice is having her tete-a-tete with Hannibal, and she talks about souvenirs and how serial killers take souvenirs, and Hannibal goes, I didn't. And she goes, no, you ate yours. To me, that's saying that is his souvenir, right? It became that little fetishistic task of his kill to ingest them and 
to just make it so simple as you fed me my sister, now I'm going to eat you because it's poetic justice doesn't work for me. It's just too road. It's boring. And the one thing about Hannibal's psyche that it should never be is boring. Well, this is the lot we've been given. The movie definitely changes from this point on. I just have to now look at it as it's, it's going to live and die by the kills. It's going to live by these moments. And so, yeah, he goes after the butcher in one of the stranger scenes of this movie. Can anyone explain to me why he is playing on a Japanese lute, America, my country, tis of thee, when the butcher is walking up with his fish? No, I cannot. The same reason he has samurai <laughs> training in this film. I mean, the guy's French. He's Lithuanian. It's a Japanese musical <laughs> instrument. I, they've never been to America. I don't even understand this moment. But there's a cool beheading, and at this point, I'm like, maybe I'm going to get my horror film. Yeah, there is that. Now, they've aged the character. That was a choice they made from adapting the work from the novel. Would you have been okay with this moment if it had been a 12-year-old boy? If it had looked like he had in the beginning? Because that's really how it plays in the book. Yes, we talked about Kick-Ass, that I like that they're using this, like, eight-year-old girl to perform these horrific acts, that it's daring. But that's a different attitude. This is totally different. Yeah, that was more of a comic booky thing. But, no, even here, I mean, if you're telling me the story of a monster, they call him a monster later on. I'm like, no, he's not. He's Batman. He's the Punisher. He's not a monster. Like, if you're doing it as a monster film, you know, this is Frankenstein's monster coming alive, make it horrific make it a 12 year old kid that's scary it, i agree it would have salvaged some of what i was looking for which is a horror movie i would have been intimidated it would have had a similar moment arnie i think to that moment in the rob zombie reboot of halloween yes. where he just goes to town on that bully and you realize god this movie is taking no prisoners and if i'm not scared i'm at least unnerved and and consequently i'm not unnerved watching the scene i'm weirded out because of the america on the japanese <laughs> loot but i am not feeling like this is a tense scary moment i'm feeling like this is when Daredevil plays on the playground with Elektra. I mean, I feel like this is just the beginning of his crime fighting. I do like some of the scenes after this where Hannibal is going round and round with the inspector. This is a brief moment of joy I have because it goes back to the old dynamic of Hannibal and the cops. Oh, I agree. I think that is some of the fun here. I really like the way that they keep trying to catch him. You know, I, I feel like he is always one step ahead of everyone, and, and they're setting up that early and often here. Like when his ninja aunt rides up on a motorcycle? <laughs> like, this is this movie is so weird. i got to ask, is she there to help him or to hurt him? That was something Gong Li even asked Thomas Harris, point blank. She wanted the character to be more active. She wanted to be doing more things that allowed her to rescue Hannibal from his dark impulses, that she understood what happened to Misha was awful, but at the same time that he could not keep going down this path. And as it plays now, I don't feel like I get a clear sense of what she is about. Yes, she's willing to plant the head in the middle of town to help him beat the rap. But is she with him for the rest of it? I feel like she is until she isn't, until the climactic end. And I'm just so confused as to what we're supposed to take away from Lady Murasaki. I have no idea. I thought there was like a romance. She mentions that he looks like his uncle. Yes. And so I took it as like this romance thing and she was just trying to protect her nephew lover. Did she want him to kill? I don't think she wanted him to kill, but she didn't want him to go to jail either. 
Sure. Then why show him how to use ninja swords? That's all I'm going to say. Well, that was before he started <laughs> killing. You know, whenever you take martial arts, it's about becoming in tune with your body and becoming at peace with yourself. It's always for defense. So I, I think that yes. was the whole purpose of that, and he perverts it and uses it to kill people. I think that she is basically the audience's window into here. We don't want him to do these things, theoretically, but by the same token, we understand why he's doing them and therefore want to help him escape and not go to jail for his understandable crimes. That movie I want to see, Arnie. I love that. <laughs> if they had made that movie, I would be so jazzed right now to talk about it. But I, that isn't the what I'm getting off of these scenes. And I'm so – you're right. I really want to like this character. I like Gong Li in other movies. I'm, I'm on her side. But I just don't understand her. It just feels like she's here to be the flaky girlfriend that runs away at the end. And I feel like that's not helpful. And there's way too many scenes between these two. You know, they're like going and looking at paintings and walking and talking. And this movie's not giving me anything I want. And it's giving me long stretches of things I'm just really detesting now. I am so not on board with this film. Honestly, at about the one hour mark. If it wasn't for now playing, I'd have turned it off. <laughs> and this is why I feel like Harris doesn't know how to write a screenplay. Like, he's just translating his book into a screenplay format, but he's keeping all the same scenes. Whereas in a book, you could provide some insight as they're looking at paintings. In a film, you got to keep it going. It's got to be tight. It's all got to have a logic and lead to something. You only have a set amount of time. You can't waste any time like with a book the reader takes that at their own pace but at a movie you're forced to watch it at whatever pace it goes when it's at the pace of a book man it lags yes i totally agree with you really hit it jacob the killings don't start in hannibal rising the book until the last 80 pages and they get the balance a little bit more right here it's about halfway through the movie or a little bit more than still you just feel like a savvy screenwriter would be able to translate the most important cogent points from the book throughout the novel arranging them differently but pace it so that audiences are getting what they want when they want to receive it i feel like there is way too much setup for the killing that by the time we get there i can understand arnie's reaction i don't agree with it but i can understand wanting to be out of the movie because you're so bored I'm I'm surprised you lasted an hour, Arnie. <laughs> I kept having hope, though. I mean, I started off this movie with such high hopes when I saw the style of film and the World War II and all of this, the grime, the grit. I was really into the film for the first 20 to 30 minutes. And the second 30 minutes, when the butcher's being killed, and then Hannibal steals his fish, and then the cook says, eat the cheeks, they're the best part. It's like, I'm really turning on this film, and I do not want to consume it anymore. And yet, I still find the story kind of interesting. The basic thrust of it, the revenge plot, you know, it's starting to feel like Munich to me. And yes, I had that in my notes as well, Munich. Yeah, if you eventually realize it's a revenge plot. I have to go back and kill everyone that ain't my sister. And it takes a while to get there, but, you know, after he finds that true serum and takes the drugs and listens to the piano music. By the way, the same piano music he's listening to when he breaks out in Silence of the Lambs. Wearing the same mask. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, this is where I start to feel like, okay, this isn't the movie I thought it would be or necessarily even that I wanted, but I am intrigued to see where this is going. I'm rehooked into the movie. I'm hoping to still be able to recommend it. And I'm hoping that it will pull itself out and become a kick-ass action flick, the Batman Begins <laughs> that you mentioned, and yeah. he will take on his enemies. But he does. He goes to them one by one, but it's so plotting. Yeah, it all falls apart in the writing. I feel like how he happens to run into these people is so random. The book does it much better, but because it's already going on so long, some of these walking around looking at painting stuff aren't you're talking about. Actually, it's important plot stuff, but they aren't able to fit it all in here, so they have to come up with dumb things like, oh, I'll just take my student visa, go back across the Iron Curtain, and just happen to catch the guy that's now a border guard. I mean, really, some very lame coincidences. Some of the worst coincidences in Thomas Harris's adaptations are, are happening right here, and that's saying something after Hannibal. And I don't get any joy out of these killings. You know, I'm not feeling baited. I don't feel like when he gets to the guy and ties him to the tree that I want the horse to go running forward and pop off the head. You know, I, I don't feel like these are things I want to see and that I want him to do. Honestly, the eyes bulging and things, it became this weird form of comedy. I was thinking back to Large Marge from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I had to laugh when he licks the blood off of his face and like he does it like it's like this erotic thing. I just like this is silly. Yeah. I just felt like at this point this movie is veering dangerously into unfunny camp where it's like it is taking itself way too seriously to be doing this stupid ass shit. And again, a lot of it falls on the actor because I'm realizing during the second half of the film when he like slicks his hair back in that Gordon Gecko style that this man looks like a human lizard. He has this weird thin lips and his head's back and the pointed nose. I'm just really disliking this character. And every time he smiles, it feels like a child molester. I just cannot get with this character. You have to love Hannibal. And I just really don't. I agree. Casting's killing it here. And, you know, they keep trying to bring up the old movies. It's like what they always do in these reboots. You're like, well, we know that birds played an important motif, so we'll keep that going. And Was that a throwback to the pigeons? Yes. Oh! Deep rollers, yeah. I, I was wondering why they wanted to remind me of that pigeon opening from Hannibal. <laughs> I know, and all these boars, too. I'm like, are you trying to remind me of the flesh-eating pigs? Yes, like, yes, I got all that written down. Interesting tidbit. They Hannibal Crest, the flag that flies, is actually a boar. That's, that's, it represents Hannibal himself. But we would know that if the flag being flown over the castle had their family crest, but they never show that. Not even when the Nazis run their swastika up the pole. They omit that detail. I'm like, God, you, you show us things we don't need to know, and then other things just go unexplained. It's a problem with the writing. It may be a problem with the directing as well, but I think we're all in agreement here. This movie is, is frustrating, even as it tries to quote-unquote get to the good stuff. It's just littered with obvious symbols. It's just aping what's been done before, and, and in doing so, only remind you of what this movie is not accomplishing. The one thing it never accomplished for me is during this whole murder thing, he's also pursuing his dream of getting a 
doctor degree? Well, he's got to do that. I mean, we know that he's got to end up being a therapist, and we know that he's got to really understand anatomy and drawing, and, and there are things that he has to be able to do to be the person that we see him in the jail cell. It's understandable that they have to get there. And the one detail I do like is the fact that he is collecting bodies of the executed for the anatomy class, for to take back to the morgues. And I do like that scene where they have the guy that's about to be executed, and the cop is there trying to get a confession out of him. I thought it was over the top at first that they took him to the guillotine, but believe it or not, up until 1981, France was still using the guillotine to execute condemned men. I just think that, again, in my own little mind of Hannibal Lecter's background, him being a doctor was a big thing. Here, it's so incidental, isn't it? Like, he's just stumbling through it. He's not working hard. He's not studying. He's only studying how to cook people's cheeks. I was wondering if I missed a scene because all of a sudden I see him walking around in a doctor's coat and they say he's studying medicine. Like, I thought he might be faking it, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, I'm just confused. It's like just out of nowhere, this whole medical thing. Did he ever go to high school? I mean, I know (laughs) that, you know, in the book they talk about he had a tutor, but that guy got killed early. I mean, he was mute at the beginning of this film. Like, after the incident with his sister, he just stops talking to people. I'm like, now he's got the skills to go to medical school. I I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I really just thought he'd come to the States and go, I'm a doctor and not have any degree. But no, they actually say he's admitted to these medical schools throughout. But again, it's never portrayed in a realistic manner. It's just lines said. Oh, man, this movie just pisses me off. Yeah, and the deaths just come and go. You know, they find the birds and find one of the guys is a family man that has a daughter. I kind of like that turn of events. But it's awfully convenient that he's in Paris with all the other ones. Like, why did they all go to Paris if they were looters in (laughs) Lithuania? It just seems weird that eight or nine years later, they would just all decide to be running women and weapons on a ship around Paris. It just doesn't seem like the correct place to traffic, you know. Well, the croissants, you know, are much better than the Lithuanian girls. Yes, well. Well, you know, but they try to kind of do something with maybe Lecter will hurt this family and hurt this girl because she's wearing the bracelet that Misha did. And at the end of the day, there's no payout for that. Another guy goes to the medical school and it's just so that they can dump him into formaldehyde. It just, yeah, you're right. I don't like Lecter and I'm not even getting a vicarious slasher thrill out of these deaths. It's not even working as a Saw movie. Or an action film, because, you know, when the scene comes where the guy's trying to attack Lecter at the medical school, that could be a big, like, born identity type moment. And it just doesn't work at all. I mean, man, it really comes down to the ending. When they finally get to the boat, I mean, Jacob, you keep mentioning first class. I agree. I keep thinking about that great scene where Magneto goes to the boat to take on the people that killed his mom. And this feels like the same. This is a James Bond moment. But you just don't like this guy. He's not James Bond. It's just not working for me. James Bond is cannibal. There's one thing I have to give this movie. And I am so happy I watched it for one reason. Rise Ivans. This is a man who I've seen speak because he's the lizard in next summer's Amazing Spider-Man. And this guy, sadly, I only know him as the naked guy from Notting Hill and the soccer player from The Replacements. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've seen him in a few things as well. He had a supporting role in Greenberg, and he did a Charlie Kaufman movie called Human Nature. I, he's around. I, I've seen his work. I guess I don't find him as cuddly as some people do. He's kind of got this bumbling Englishman routine that seems to charm some people. He's all right, but... I was glad to see him play a villain before Spider-Man. So when Spider-Man comes around, I'm more familiar with this guy. Because, yeah, I'd only seen him in comedic roles. He pulled off this role really well. I don't think he was that great. I mean, I feel bad for him because most of his scenes involve him biting into a frozen bird carcass and getting blood and feathers all over his face. They keep cutting back to that. Like, this is this malicious, savage moment. I'm like, you look like an idiot. And believe it or not, the prop people got a real taxidermied bird and didn't tell him. And he, like, bit into the thing not even knowing. You don't fuck with him. He got arrested at Comic-Con for being violent. So No. Uh, well, maybe this is the reason why. Poor showbiz treatment. I don't know. I can't defend or exonerate Ricefans, but I don't feel like I like any of these guys. They all have similar sounding names and they all kind of look the same. I didn't even know their names. I just kept writing down soldier, soldier, ex-soldier. Like, I don't know who anyone in the, is in this movie except Lecter. Like, even his aunt, I, I could never catch her name. I just kept writing Samurai Aunt. Like, <laughs> everything just goes by on the screen in this and it there's no stickingness to it. It just moves and it goes at its own pace and yeah, I, I don't like anyone in this. Yeah, it's important that we at least know be able to distinguish the villains so that we know well there's the one with the scar or there's the black one or there's the old one or whatever but here because of the region and where they're telling the story they all look the same they saw all the same ethnicity are you saying all lithuanians look the same that's racist <laughs> i guess i'm losing our, our lithuanian viewership <laughs> and i apologize but yes to me the all f six of these actors if not look identical, are not distinguished enough for me to know from scene to scene who is what and, and what they did. It's important. You know, in a revenge thing, you want to be able to check them off in a list. Okay, that one goes, and then that one goes. And here, I didn't even know there was one left in Canada. When they get to the end jolt where he's like, oh, there's still one at the taxidermy shot, I'm like, really? I don't even remember him. That was the one I actually knew because they mentioned one was in Canada, so I knew he'd have to go to Canada eventually. Oh, I remember them mentioning that. I don't remember him in the early seen sitting around eating dead birds. I had no idea how many there were. He was just another <laughs> one off the list, another one off the list. I just wish he was killing them faster because that would mean credits would roll sooner. Right. But of course, it's not really important. All that's important is that you know that Hannibal is inching ever closer to being the savage psychopath that he is either supposed to be or not supposed to be, depending on your leaning. But truthfully, when the secret comes out that he ate his sister too... What did that do for you guys? Do you feel like that explains anything? Do you feel that is a good enough reveal for the central mystery to all of this? No, I, I said earlier, okay, he ate his sister, so he feels bad about that. So he keeps eating people? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. I actually really liked it. I'm going to go against Jacob on this one. That one, it was a jolt. I didn't expect it. I don't know why I didn't expect it, but I did not believe it. And the way it's delivered and the fact that he's not avenging, he's covering up. That I loved. I just love that twist. I wish it was in a better movie. Mm -hmm. It does not explain him being a cannibal going forward. I will completely agree with you on that, Jacob. But I just love the twist that his motivation wasn't what we thought it was. That I just thought 
was inspired. And I was like, wow, I got to give the film some credit for that. It is the pearls before swine here. Yeah, they did try to take him back to being a villain for a half second. They did try to take away his nobility. I'm not sure that it totally stuck because it's just a theory one guy says before he gets killed. I don't even know if it's true that that's why he's killing them all. But it's why he theorizes that he's killing them all. And if that were the case, why doesn't Hannibal off himself? There's so much that we need to know from his perspective. We need him to talk at this point. We need to hear him say... I developed a taste for flesh, and I want to keep doing it. Unfortunately, it has to come from the writing, and neither on the page nor on the screen here do I really see it in full. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not over. You know, he's in America at the end of this movie. He bumps off the last of his sister's killers. He's got some co-eds to cook. Yeah, but why spend the first 20 minutes of this film, then, building up how much he loves his sister if he's willing to eat her because he's hungry? There's something missing. The, the logic isn't there. Well, to be fair, he was a child. Maybe he didn't know what he was eating. And I'm sure he didn't participate in her murder. There were clearly bones in the pot. And I think that was a controversial shot. That- but they said they only gave him the broth. Yeah. The broth that his sister was cooked in. But he didn't right. know that. I, I don't know. It's it's not clear if he knew that, I guess. And he was dying half delirious in the snow. Who knows what he knew? Yeah, I think you got to give credit that hunger can make people irrational. And who knows what he knew? He was a child. Let me put it this way. At the end of the day, you could say that that's maybe where he developed his taste. It's comfort food, if you will, human flesh. But you can't tell me that the loss of his sister and the push and pull between loving her as a person and needing her to stay alive is what makes him go kill Coets. You can't tell me that that explains it. It doesn't explain him as a criminal, as someone that takes life, not when his own life is at stake, but for hobby, for sport. It doesn't work. And furthermore, I mean, you talked about how he often attacks women in the books. And so I'm thinking, if this trauma came from his sister and he has this actual relationship with his aunt, it's not one where he's torturing her like we see with Clarice. It's one where he wants to be with her. Like, where did this hatred for women come from? Like, you really have to turn off your mind that this is a prequel to the previous films. Honestly, it would make more sense if he ends up eating Lady Murasaki because that's the woman that he clearly has longing for, that he goes unconsummated. And I feel like if what we're told is that his sexual libido is tied with his mouth and his appetite, I mean, that's what I've observed in other Lecter movies, is that when he's turned on, he wants to eat them. I mean, that's how he understands them. I feel like that was the relationship to explore the cannibalism, not a dead sister from the war that maybe anybody in a bad situation would have been forced to eat. Well, I guess this leaves. Stuart, Jacob, did Hannibal Rising leave a bad taste in your mouth? Jacob? Look, approaching this as a movie connected to the other Hannibal films that we reviewed, it fails. It doesn't provide insight into Hannibal being insane. That's where we come into this film, knowing that something's going to drive him crazy. Something has disconnected him from humanity. As we've all stated, we get Batman Begins here, or at least X-Men First Class with Magneto. Maybe because I'm the comic book fan, I could somewhat relate. Yay, someone killed my sister. These people treat me horribly. That's on some level a rational response to go out and get that revenge, that revenge fantasy. So it fails 
as a Hannibal film. So how does it work as an action revenge fantasy flick? It fails there too. The action's not there. It's slow and tedious and boring. And these are things that should not be said when you're watching a revenge fantasy. I recommend this film as much on this Halloween night as eating apples with razor blades in them. Not recommended. <laughs> Stuart? Well, look, you know, the Hannibal Lecter that we're seeing here has absolutely nothing to do with Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of the incarcerated evil that I love. You know, it's a complete artistic betrayal of one of the best screen villains ever. And I will always resent this movie for that. That said, I don't feel like this movie is as terrible as I was expecting it to be. I really felt like a post-Hopkins Lecter prequel probably was going to stink up the screen. And I think many will be surprised at how classy this movie is, how hard everyone tried to make it work. That said, it doesn't work. This is a mild not recommend, but at the end of the day, even when you get past all of your own biases about how you feel about Lecter and where the series has gone, it's just not very exciting. It's a good-looking movie with some interesting moments and a few insights that I really appreciate. But at the end of the day, it's a lousy superhero movie, too. And I'm, you know, I liked it better than Daredevil. So I'll <laughs> compare to that. I'll definitely say it's a better Avenger story than Daredevil. But, uh, you know, even if he were a Marvel superhero character, I wouldn't keep reading him here. I think this is done. So, not recommend. I can't believe you liked this more than Daredevil. I did not like this more than Daredevil. I said it earlier, I tried to disassociate this from being in the shadow of Anthony Hopkins, because I just realized early on it wasn't going to hold a candle. But if you completely remove this from that which has come before, why would you watch it? There's nothing here other than the name of Hannibal. And when you try to connect it to that series, there's nothing here but the name of Hannibal. I don't see the character of Hannibal. Where is the smart lector? Where is the cunning lector? Where is the charismatic lector? How could this vicious boy ever grow up to be the refined Anthony Hopkins personification of Hannibal Lecter? I don't see it. I just do not find this film to be entertaining, nor does it fit well in this series, nor does it explain a goddamn thing. Strong not recommend for Hannibal Rising. Wow, I'm surprised it would be that hard on it. I mean, you got to admit, it's higher quality than you would think that this movie would be. Yes. It's not Paul. No, you are right. They really did try to do something here. I think you got to give them props. I'm always up for an artistic failure, and I think that that's what this is. This isn't schlock. Yes, there's some beautiful scenery shot in this film. I will give you that. But it's written like schlock. Just because it had a good look doesn't make it not schlock. Just because you spent a lot of money on it doesn't make it not schlock. Look at the Fantastic Four first theatrical film that we all agreed was basically the Corman script refilm. It is schlock, and that's why I am so down on it. I would have been fine if it was schlock for schlock's sake if it had been entertaining. But this film takes itself too goddamn seriously. It, it spends so much time pondering over paintings, and yet it doesn't give me anything. There's no meat in this cannibal film. <laughs> well, maybe I'm a semi-vegetarian then. I feel like there was more to chew on here. I can't be as hard as you guys. But then maybe it comes down to the fact that I'm probably the biggest fan of this franchise, of the three of us. I've really enjoyed 
revisiting all these movies. I've seen them all before, some of them many times, and even the ones that I didn't like, the Hannibal and the Hannibal Rising, I, I like watching them again. I liked watching them in this context. I really enjoyed this series, and I don't feel like, even though there's two I don't recommend, I don't feel like there's any that I feel like were a waste of time. None of them were a waste of time. I really got something out of all of it, but definitely Silence of the Lambs is heads and tails above all the others. The series lives and dies by Silence of the Lambs. The rest are just hangers-on. But I will say that while I didn't recommend Manhunter, I did find things in there to enjoy, and I could see myself going back to it once in a while. I can't recommend it, but I might watch it again just to get the things out of it that I did. I will disagree with you that none of them were a waste of time. Hannibal Rising wasted my time. Look, the ones I've seen before, I guess I saw the good ones. Silence, <laughs> Red Dragon. I did enjoy Manhunter. I keep going back to Manhunter. Like, that one is really stuck in my mind because it is such an artistic film. It's totally not connected to the rest of these films at all. Like, you cannot go from Manhunter to Silence and be in the same movie universe. But, man, that that one sticks in my mind just because of the artistry in it. But, yeah, Silence and Red Dragon, that's all you need. Like, Hannibal is just such a what-the-fuck movie, and then this is Samurai Ant. Like, I, it's, I don't know. Like, Thomas Harris, man, I, I don't – he got lucky twice with those first two. These last two, man, not good. Yeah, and, you know, there was talk on the commentary tracks about maybe there'll be another one that the, it was the intention of Dino to – keep this going and have another prequel and Hannibal's adventures in America. But Dino is dead now and this movie bombed and thank the spirit of Eddie Murphy's fat suit. <laughs> I just feel like that seems unlikely. I don't think anybody necessarily, including me uh, would want to see more in this capacity. That said, I don't think we're done with Lecter. I know that there is talks to bring him to television right now, that Martha De Laurentiis, the widow, is working very hard to have him adapted in a Dexter style so that each week he would be... I don't know if he'd be eating... Uh, how would you do that? I don't know. But I think that he would be meeting other criminals and passing judgment and using his skills of the mind and teeth to solve mysteries. I think that's where they're trying to put him right now and probably be a show geared for HBO or Showtime or one of the premium cable channels. Perhaps Cooking Network? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really ought to consider that, shouldn't they? How how could they sell a cannibalistic cooking show? It's It's a niche market, but interesting. Would I watch that series? I don't know. I almost feel like a direction I'd like to see more is seeing Lecter in old age. What's it like when your teeth are falling out? What's it like? How do you chew bones then? You know, like, I feel like Hopkins is still with us, man. There's one more story here to tell. I don't feel so burned by Hannibal that I feel like there isn't one more good chapter in his saga. I hope that they could find it uh, before the moments has passed. Just remember, he's going to have a hook in that film. Unless they go with the book, right? In the book, he's two-handed. You know what I'm going to say is we talked about this once before. Thomas Harris is a slow-ass writer. And the books that really suck are the ones that were written post-silence when there was basically a gun to his head saying, get the book out. 
get the book out. If Thomas Harris, wherever he is, however old he is, decides he wants to go back to writing for the craft of it and produce another Red Dragon, another Silence of the Lambs, flush away Hollywood expectations. We all said Hannibal brought back Clarice because the audience demanded it after Silence. If he can go back and write his own story that he wants to tell without Dino saying we're doing it with or without you, then I would actually return to see that with Hopkins or somebody else in the role. I would probably even pick up the book to see what that is. I think you're onto something there, Arnie. And, you know, I wouldn't rule out the fact that maybe we go a different route. Maybe we follow Clarice and there is no Hannibal or Will Graham. Remember him? Maybe there's more to tell with those characters. I feel like it's not just Lecter, even though he towers above them all. There are many good characters in those early novels, and I feel like there's fertile ground. Bullshit, it's Lecter. If you're not going to tell a Lecter story, start a new franchise. Unless you're, you know, Thomas Harris, but uh, I mean... Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Thomas Harris. Okay. I thought you were thinking like the Weinsteins could be like, that Will Graham. What's it? No, no. (laughs) But I would be fine with the Thomas Harris novel that brought back Jodie Foster for a new copy. Clarice. Clarice. (laughs) Yes. No, no. I mean, Jodie Foster in the movie. I mean, I I feel like if if that could return, I would be fine with no lector. I just like a good story. Like, I, I like Lecter as a character, but if you could just give me a good story, I'm willing to go for that. Yeah, maybe that's the best approach at all. I mean, knowing when to quit is an important skill, and too many people don't have it. Including Thomas Harris two books ago. So, Jacob <laughs> Stewart, thank you for joining me for this Halloween series, and thank you to all the listeners. We hope you enjoyed getting this one day early, your treat for tricking tonight. Yeah, be careful what you're eating tonight. Inspect all candy, children. And just remember, you get one cheek, the lady gets the other. (laughs) You're so polite. (laughs) Rudeness is such an epidemic. I don't want to be eaten for being rude. So what's next, guys? I know that Thanksgiving's coming. What do I have to be grateful for? Well, next week's turkey is the Punisher. Oh, this (laughs) this is a true Halloween treat for me. Getting probably my favorite comic book character. So I'm excited. This is the 1989-1991 Dolph Lundgren film. Still excited because I get to talk about The Punisher. Like, <laughs> I, I have had hour-long conversations with people about The Punisher. So I don't care if it's Dolph Lundgren. I get to talk about The Punisher. I'm excited. I'm not excited for Dolph Lundgren, ever. <laughs> but I'm curious to see how much more of this I, ha- I can survive. Well, you, you almost like this <laughs> film, Hannibal Rising. So we're going to see another revenge fantasy next week. Okay. Well, I'm always game to try. But you say Dolph, Marvel, <laughs> I'm... It's already two strikes for you. <laughs> I promise you, Stuart, it's better than Hannibal Rising, in my opinion. And also, don't forget to the listeners, if you've downloaded this and are listening immediately, you have until midnight tonight to get our eight bonus podcasts by donating $10 or more. You get all five Exorcist podcasts. The listeners have been really complimentary to us, saying that's one of our best series ever. And that's just a $10 or more donation by midnight tonight. And if you do 25 or more in addition to that, you get all three reviews of The Thing films. So you definitely want to hear that. Stuart loves The Thing as much as Jacob loves Punisher, I think. So... That's true, and I'm so high on Aliens right now, I want to keep it going. So, can I announce it? Can I go ahead and say? Well, the donors already know, but why don't you tell everybody else? 
We are doing aliens, guys. I've wanted to do this since probably the first time I ever put on the microphone and recorded. We are finally getting to Ridley Scott's Alien, Jim Cameron's Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection. We're going to top it all off with the new Ridley Scott's quasi-prequel Prometheus. It's out next summer. This is our spring to summer donation series. $10 next year. You're going to get all five films. And given in the fact that I'm in the mood for things from out of this world and we're already done with thing, I'm wondering what we can do for the three for extra series. And I'm wanting you guys to tell us that. Yeah, we did both in spring and fall this year for $25 or more in the spring. You know, we made it a mystery amount, but it was for the Poltergeist films. And then here in the fall, we said $25 or more got you the Thing films. We want to know what you guys want us to do. I mean, we realize this is some hard-earned scratch. And so we want to review the films you want us to review for this. So we are putting up a vote. And the contenders we'd come up with among ourselves that we were down to... These two trilogies. The first was the Men in Black trilogy, ending with the in-theater release of Men in Black 3. Makes sense, you know, outer space, aliens, got all of that. It's definitely in keeping a lighter touch, of course, a goofier comedy approach, but I like it. It's from space. That's what we're doing in the spring. The other option is Steven Spielberg's loosely connected alien trilogy of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T., and War of the Worlds. Something entirely different, but equally intriguing. Seminal classic movies, at least a couple of them. I'd definitely be back to revisiting those. And I think we need to put this out there. Just like Green Lantern and Super 8, whoever doesn't win, it's never going to get reviewed. Ooh, intrigue. It's a death match. It's like Thunderdome, isn't it? <laughs> Another series I want to get to. Two but... series enter, one series leave. Uh, wow. Or possibly I... no series leaves, because since it is your hard-earned scratch, there is a none of the above option, and we go back to the well and try to figure something else out. Oh, cool. All right. Well, yeah, I'll be checking this off. Now, you say we they go to the webpage, right? Like Green Lantern, you're going to click a box. And... Yep. And that's how it works? Go to nowplayingpodcast.com, the link's at the top of the page, and then you get to cast your vote for one of those three. One vote per person, please. And also, we had mentioned a few weeks ago that if our donations hit our goal, we were going to do Batman for free in the summer. We not only hit the goal, you guys rock so much, we shop right past it so in addition to alien as our ten dollar donation and then whatever our 25 dollar donation is everybody's getting batman for free and this includes catwoman folks oh I, wow. I was gonna say i was really excited for this because after the punisher i mean the punisher and batman are battling it out for my favorite comic book character catwoman it'll be fun to revisit that one I really do want to do that. I know that I've been a grouse on these comic books, and will continue to be <laughs> on many of these comic book offshoots, but Batman's cool. I'm down. Well, it's cool because you get to get to Nolan. Yeah. And Catwoman. I agreed. <laughs> yep. The new movie's out next July. I Great. So we're going to do that. We're going to do Spider-Man. We're going to do Alien. We're going to do all of it, plus whatever you guys tell us we're going to do for the $25. Whatever's worth $25, that will be the other series of our summer. Come to the forums. We have the entire schedule posted through Batman there, so head to the forums at nowplayingpodcast.com and take a listen, and we hope that you're looking forward to the next six to nine months of programming as much as we are, and we thank you. It is your donations that have made all of it possible. So, Jacob Stewart, I'd love to chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. 
I regret it came to this world. But every game must have its ending. Remarkable boy, I do admire your courage. I think I'll eat your heart. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Hannibal Lecter Retrospective Series. That was good. Be sure to head to booksandnachos.com each week as Stuart will be reviewing the original Thomas Harris Hannibal Lecter novels. Oh, I'd love to get you on my couch. And also come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week as we review another Hannibal Lecter film. So you'll be wanting lots of these little chinwags, I take it. And in the nowplayingpodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other films, such as the X-Files films, Final Destination, Inception, Avatar, X-Men, and many more. After all, as your mother tells you, my mother certainly told me, it is important, she always used to say, always to try new things. And while at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss these films with other listeners. We could have some fun. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. You're very frank, Larry. I think it would be quite something to know you in private life. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Quick pro quo. Yes or no? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Quid pro quo, You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. All good things to those who wait. I've waited, Clarice, but how long can you and old Jackie boy wait? Now Playing's Hannibal Lecter Retrospective Series is edited by Carlos and Arnie. Tedious. Very tedious. Credits performed by Jen and Brock. I'd give you full credit, of course. Now Playing is not affiliated with MGM Pictures, Orion Pictures, or the Weinstein Company, and no infringement is intended. Remember what I said. If you can't be polite to our guests, you have to sit at the kiddies' table. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. That doesn't interest me, Doctor. Frankly, it's it's the sort of thing that Migs would say. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. You fly back to school now, little starting. Today we're discussing Hannibal Rising, starring Gaspar Lier. What? Gaspar Lier. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I looked at oh, really? It is Gaspar Lier. Okay. How would you pronounce it? Gaspard Ulil? Yeah, probably. Hollywood <laughs> Francis. I had to search through YouTube. Surprisingly, he wasn't brought on Letterman to discuss this role. <laughs> so, uh, thanks to thewineladies.com, I know it's Gaspar. I said it right the first time. <laughs> Whatever. Just edited in correctly. And from now on, if you could insert it correctly whenever I speak, <laughs> that would be helpful. Don't worry. Don't worry. You don't really on. need to remember this guy's name. <laughs>
man, after watching Hannibal last week and knowing Harris was going to come back and do this, I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. You didn't have watch a lot it last week, but oh. I know that you keep ignoring man, the dragon. I, keep... <laughs> I want to group the bad ones together. <laughs> to our star Arnie, how do you say his name? <laughs> yep, <laughs> Gaspar Yuliel. Gaspar. Gasparia. Gasparia. I can't even say that. That's just. <laughs> Don't make fun of the French. I, I'm not. I'm not. Or the French Canadians. I am going to make fun of All right, fun you can make fun of the French yeah. Canadians. I, I approve of that. <laughs> I'm not with this movie anymore. Hopkins. Hopkins, I wait. I'm going to pull you. I have to get out the jar every time I say Hopkins. <laughs> Lecter. 